Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. This is the weekend review. My name is Ryan Bailey, and today we're looking back at the biggest matches and moments of the weekend. Joining me to do so is a man whose penenkas always hit the spot, Taylor Rockwell. Oh, penenkas. I've never been confident enough to try one for the exact reason that we saw this weekend. That was going to be my follow-up question. Have you ever dared to do it? I've never done it myself. I've never... I'm always a hit it hard and low kind of guy. I always... uh, Yes, that is how I go. Because especially at amateur level, I feel like goalkeepers will wait to see what you're doing. They don't do the kind of blind dive to one side or the other. And so I think there's even more likelihood you'll get exposed for being a pretentious douche by trying to chip an amateur goalkeeper and having them catch it and then punt the ball clear. Which is the rule. If you catch a chip, you have to punt the ball away immediately. (laughs) My logic is that most people are right-handed. Most goalkeepers prefer to dive to their right, so just shoot to their left. That's how I usually go at oh. rig league level. Anyway. <laughs> M- math. Right there. Right. Well, yeah, a bit of logic in there, but it doesn't always work out. My penalty record is not exactly Matt Letizia-esque. Anyway, joining Taylor and I is a man who definitely isn't in charge of the Columbus Crew rebrand. It's Graham Ruffin. <laughs> well, if I am, I'm uh, going quiet on uh, Twitter uh, at the moment to, to escape the flak. How, how are you, Ty- uh, t- uh, Ryan? Sorry. Very good indeed. Very good. Thank you for joining us, Graham. Um, your, your thoughts on that rebrand? I mean, um, it seems a little controversial, doesn't it? Uh, it's 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 so frustrating because the Columbus Crew current badge is one of the best in MLS, and right. and it's and it, it doesn't even need modernised. They only they modernised it only a, a few years ago. I sometimes understand when clubs want to to bring a, a crest up to date, but the Columbus Crew already have a good modern badge, and don't change it to something that looks like a, a logo for a Gen Z gaming company, which is what the leaked logo looks a bit like. <laughs> it it is odd uh, that they only just changed to that badge, relatively speaking, because they had the one with the the sort of the workman in the hats, the sort of uh, you know the, the the more MLS 1.0 badge. Yeah, and and then yeah, it's pretty good the one they have now. I'm I'm a little baffled by. It. Is the logic just that they don't want to have the word crew in their name anymore? Which is baffling because that's one of the best names in MLS. I, I, I love the name the Columbus Crew, but it, it, I, I read some uh, kind of logic in some of the reports saying that Columbus, along with other MLS clubs, want to make themselves global brands, which feels a little bit like running before you can walk. Make yourself a brand in, in, in your own local market first before thinking about uh, customers in Paris or Tokyo, and I'm not ah. sure they would really be into uh the rebranded badge either it's it's not the best so they I want say. columbus sc to become like coca-cola you'll be using you know columbus toothpaste in tokyo yeah Is that in 10 idea? years time it'll be coca-cola apple ford motor group columbus sc well i for one uh, welcome our new columbus overlords how about you taylor I, I just like I like that in in trying to make themselves a global brand, they're making themselves increasingly a very specific brand. Because if you if you really focus in on the SC, anytime I mention soccer around a British person, you all do your best to bite your tongues. But more often than not, I get the "Do you mean football?" Because you're saying the wrong word. <laughs> so by like m- like mandating that it be soccer club first, and now getting rid of the crew aspect, they really are just making it into like sanitized soccer team, and it's uh, it's not my favorite thing. I will say that openly. I, I wish they would k- stick with the crew and their uh, current logo. I even like the one before the MLS 1.0, but such mm-hmm. is life. Columbus SSC Sanitized Soccer Club is that there. What we you're go. Saying? Yeah, perfect. Okay. Maybe that should be the rebrand. <laughs> Give it time. Give it like another six months, and they'll re-rebrand. Uh, and Graham, also before we get into t- uh, the weekend's events, can you just describe your outfit for us, please? Oh, um, <laughs> as I was saying to you off air, I'm, I'm dressed a little bit like um, I've, I've dressed myself out of the bargain bin of classic football shirts. I'm wearing Benfica tracksuit bottoms, an athletic club shirt, and a Marseille uh, hoodie. Which is, is if, if Marcelo Bielsa ever coaches uh, Benfica, uh, will be what he wears every day. So, Graham, are, they, are these all things that you yourself have acquired, or were they gifts over the years from various people? <laughs> like, what's the story behind the eclectic uh, outfit we got going on today? So, you know, I was kind of joking with the classic football shirts bargain bin thing, but not <laughs> at all. That's a, that's entirely where all three items have come from, uh, as the as the clearance section of classicfootballshirts.com. Yeah, sure. It's definitely dot com and not your bait and tackle and haircut store where you also get your bargain bin <laughs> jerseys. I think we all know where you're getting getting your your bargain bin kits. <laughs> yeah, they sell all kind of th- kind of things in in, in that barber's. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious about this outfit because it, it's not quite the full kit W word. It's like a schizophrenic <laughs> full kit W word because you're all over the place with your with your countries and your teams. Yeah, I've just noticed as well. I'm wearing odd socks. 
It's, <laughs> it's all over the place today. Are they two different team socks as well? Please tell me they are. And you've got them pulled all the way up. I don't want to tell people what my socks are. I don't think they paint me as an adult, really. Okay. <laughs> one is one is SpongeBob SquarePants. I knew it was going to be SpongeBob. <laughs> that was going to be my guess. <laughs> and the other is just yellow polka dots. But even still, doesn't it doesn't paint the picture of a fully functioning adult who will be thirteen September. Oh, I'm so mad! I didn't say SpongeBob out loud. I was gonna go sp- for SpongeBob and Man City. Those are the two sides. <laughs> well, there you have it, guys. Serious journalist Graham Ruthven joining us for the podcast today. Thank you very much for that. And uh, I, I, I've, I'm going to ask every week what you're wearing now because that was fantastic. It, it feels it feels like this is a we're yeah. mining this one definitely. And and you can uh, you can uh, subscribe to my only fans as well. I also show what I'm wearing on on that too. That's right. At Graham Ruthven on OnlyFans. Sucks. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> something tells me taylor hasn't seen OnlyFans. <laughs> oh no i watched the fancy one i'm in my five-piece suit as is tradition and i only watch fancy only fans that's just monocles and top hats and spats <laughs> and people doing 1920s strip teases i like that very good very good well, oh boy. yeah obviously <laughs> it's flappers everywhere that's that's the rule and on that note, why don't we talk about some <laughs> soccer, uh, guys? Uh, Manchester, Manchester City against Chelsea. The, was the, the dress rehearsal for the Champions League final took place this weekend. Chelsea getting the advantage in this one, getting a 2-1 win. City went into this one knowing three points would win them the league. They did not get three points. They got zero. This was a big game for Chelsea, though. Of course, they moved up to third, uh, going above Leicester after their fun and games against Newcastle on Friday. Taylor, I'm going to go to you because I want to know a bit more about Manchester City. And the way they were setting up here, kind of a 3-3-3-1. We had a back three from Pep, certainly. Was this a case of Pep saying, we're playing you in an important game in a few weeks' time. I'm going to throw sand in your eyes. You're not going to see what we're doing. This is is some subterfuge going on here. What, what, What was the idea, Taylor? Oh, I saw it kind of the other way around. I saw it as we're playing you in a few weeks' time. That one's going to matter a lot more. So we're going to try something and see how it goes. Because I think there were things in this that really did work. And I think there were one or two moments of indecision that if they don't have that hesitation, if they get things a little bit more streamlined, this game goes a very different way. So I think there was maybe some experimentation with an eye towards how can we nullify what Chelsea wants to do. They didn't do that as well. But then also find openings and sort of use what Chelsea wants to do to our advantage. So I think, for example, their goal comes about from a sequence that they had already tried two or three other times in the game, which is Rudiger, like basically having him step out, marking, I think it was... uh, Ferran Torres, uh, and then that left space in behind for a more direct ball. Like So there, there were moments where they were trying to, I think, pull Chelsea out to open up opportunities for other players. I think they just didn't have the synchronizations down as much, and I would expect them to uh, in the very near future. Well, there were, there were nine changes here, Taylor, uh, from the PSG game. Only Edison and Ruben Diaz uh, su- surviving that one. Do you think the Champions League game looks anything like this? Do you think it's a back three? I mean, it feels pretty unlikely Sergio Aguero is going to start for a start in the, in, in the yeah. Champions League game. Uh, no, I, yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think what, what I was focused on more is the individual moments that kept happening. Like there was a, a routine thing of Aguero trying to stretch the back line and then drop in 20 yards. And as soon as he would go, Raheem Sterling would try to like take up that space because usually when Aguero would drop in, a defender would go with him and that opened up opportunities. However, I think routinely Imeric Laporte did not play that ball over the top, did get screamed at on a couple of occasions by Pep Guardiola for that hesitation. And I think those were the kind of moments. I mean, obviously they want to win the game. They want to get all three points. They would like to secure the league if they can. But I do think some of the patterns and the sequences are what they were trying to figure out with an eye towards the upcoming Champions League fixture. That might just be me being overly generous because I tend to think Pep tries stuff when it doesn't matter and then when it does matter maybe sometimes tries too much but other times gets it exactly right <laughs> so taylor j- just picking yeah. up on that do, do you think then this this is pep looking for a plan b because i just i find it hard to believe that he would i mean that midfield that midfield unit in particular mm-hmm. that that's going to be you know gundogan de bruyne yeah. foden no matter what happens between now and that Champions league final so in in terms of trying some new things is he maybe um, envisaging a situation where in the Champions League final Chelsea, uh, Chelsea are on top or they're having their own way and, and Pep needs to try something different and so this was a like a, like a testing ground for that is that is that where, you, I mean, where you're coming this from? Is like, 
Yeah, I'm, get, I'm getting the sense that both of you disagree <laughs> with my <laughs> idea, um, which is totally fine. And so maybe like like I am being overly generous. But yeah, yeah, I think that he was trying to see, in my mind at least, like the one that really did stand out, as I already mentioned, is the Rudiger tracking Ferran Torres in a midfield. But that means either Andreas Christensen has to slide all the way over to cover that vacated space, or he doesn't, and then they attack into that spot. And if he does, then there's another opening where another player can run into. And I think it was like consistently designed to get Raheem Sterling to be the late arriving runner and to be the overload attacker. And that's also why I think Pep Guardiola kept calling Sterling over and having words with him and yelling at him on occasion for not making runs uh, when Chelsea get the, I think, winner. It might be the equalizer. Sterling hasn't made a run that I think he was supposed to. And I, I do think there were moments in this one that were sort of trying to get sequences down for that next game. I don't know if it would be like we're chasing and we've got to make something happen. I think it, to me, was kind of probing for how can we pull Chelsea out of this system that has become so not rigid, but like established that they all know what they need to do. They know what their relationships are going to be defensively and who can go forward and when. And so how can you disrupt that consistency that Chelsea have established under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, rigid, established, or as Graham calls it, boring, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seems to me the... Uh, the I, I get what you're saying about the patterns and everything, Taylor, uh, and that's very astute, but there was a lot of yeah. individual errors and things going on here with Man City, and it this was the true. personnel that ultimately let him down with uh, Rodrigo yeah. giving up the ball for the equaliser. Uh, Mondi, you know, not, not having a great time at wing-back, and Nathan Arke, who I'd forgotten played for Manchester City. Yeah, uh, yeah. Coming back in. I, th- I think I maybe he had two. It was that left channel. It was Mondi and Arke kind of having to come up against Aspilicueta and Pulisic and Reese James. It seemed like Chelsea were just having having a lovely old time Graham on that channel in particular. Yeah, and, it, and one of the things that I, that I took from this game is that Zinchenko is really good. I know we overlook him a lot, so I know he didn't start this game, but I'm coming round to my point. Benjamin Mendy obviously plays in that. He was playing as a left wing back, wasn't he? Because Aki yeah. was the left-sided centre back. And I just thought Mendy had a really difficult time against uh, Rhys James and, and even Azpilicueta um, pushing up on, on that side as well. And I just think it, it underlined how much better Zinchenko is, not not just going forward, but even defensively as well, um, and how maybe we need to think of him as a, a little bit differently. I mean, I, I think a lot of people see Zinchenko as the, I'm going to use maybe a slightly niche reference here, but the, the Wes Brown of this Manchester City team, and that Wes Brown was the right back for Manchester United in 2008 that won the Champions League, and the rest of their team was brilliant, and Wes Brown was maybe not up to that standard. But I, I think Zinchenko's, far better than that and in a weird way in his absence that was one of the thoughts I had from this game in terms of how I see Zinchenko I see him as uh, constantly Kevin De Bruyne's like younger brother because whatever <laughs> whatever one is on the field and one isn't I'm never entirely sure which one is and which one isn't oh, yeah do you think their mum only lets them out to play at the same time is that what it is? <laughs> that's, that's how it works you can, it's uh, uh, I, I was going to spoil a certain movie but yeah you can only have one out in public at any given moment you don't want people to know how many there are uh, and mm-hmm. I'll leave it that vague instead I'll ask you all this question and Ryan I think this goes back to your original question the commentators when this one began were discussing the formation and they kept saying is this Pep mirroring is Pep mirroring the formation a bit of kidology and then they went back and forth I'm like I think it is kidology I also think it's kidology I have no idea what that term means do either of you Oh, so a Radiohead album, wasn't it? <laughs> was it Kid A or Kidology? <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, I don't know. In that context? Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure, sure. Quite what that means. So um, uh, do you think the implication was like, is he just trying to mimic what they're doing? Like, I mean, is, is he just is playing? It, 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 my understanding of that term is just like deception. Okay. Um, but I'm not entirely sure the context of this, in, in this case, how that would... <laughs> Work. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I, I think there is that element of maybe it's a bit of mind games. Maybe it is, as I said, throwing sand in the eyes to try and uh, to try and throw off. And I don't, I, I'm not sure how successful this was, but ultimately this didn't really much matter to Pep. So it was a, it was a, it was a free hit in many ways, wasn't it? I suppose, even though they could have won the league with this game, but they did not. Do, do you uh, think when he didn't get the VAR decision, he got he sarcastically said, "Okay, computer, we're going with more Radiohead albums." <laughs> <laughs> Stop being a creep, Taylor. Stop being a creep. We're going to move <laughs> well on. <done. laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about Chelsea before the we national this. anthem. Did I do it? Did I do it right? No. I mean, right, the, the, t- the timing wasn't wonderful, but uh, <laughs> otherwise, it was good. It was good, Taylor. Five stars. Um, just like okay, Idiotech. I'm going to keep doing it. All right. Sorry, I won't do it again. 
Uh, Chelsea seemed to be much better in the second half. Uh, this one, they sort of picked it up a little bit. Um, who were the standouts, Graham, for you? I know you, you're you're a team of owner apologist in many ways, and I thought he was always, you know, he was always. Is that fair to characterise you as that? By yeah, the way? absolutely. I love okay, team of owner. <laughs> you know, I see that what he does. I see he's always running. He's always putting in loads of effort, and. Uh, it, you know, he he was he was the striker putting in the cross for the fullback for the for the goal, which is an unusual unusual way of doing things. But what, what did you make of him? What did you make of Chelsea Graham? Yeah, I, I thought Werner his performance was pretty much what we've we've come to expect from him, which is probably missing one too many chances than he should, not holding the line as 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 well as he should. But again, crucial to. To how Chelsea play, and I, I still honestly believe if you get a finisher alongside him, and that's not to say that that Chelsea need to have a finisher in their starting lineup. It might be someone like Aguero coming on for the last thirty minutes of a game, but if you have a figure like that in this in the squad, I really, really believe you're going to see the best of Timo Werner. I think he, I think he's a. a I mean, if you if you work that hard, you're always going to. I'm always going to like a player. Um, naturally, I'm attracted to players who run a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I thought this was a, another good performance from Werner. I, I can see. Has there ever been a player who it just seems like everything is on the verge of happening for him, but yet it still hasn't because it's it's been like that the whole season. It feels like he's one or two games away from finding his finishing touch and finding composure. I'm not sure he's ever going to find it, but I still think he's very valuable to Chelsea. Yeah, that's he reminds fair. me like when Chicharito loses form, uh, which we'll we'll talk about him later on. But whenever he had those periods where like instead of hitting the ball into his own face and it going in, and then they would <laughs> score, like he would shoot the ball wide. Like you'd have those moments. Like is it ever going to happen? Is it just? Is it a matter of he has to be perfectly synced up? But you're right, Graham, that there's not been one player who I think so consistently has that. Like oh, he's almost there, but then doesn't quite end up pulling it off. Or even when he does, it doesn't have that level of like resounding resolve that you would like. But when you say he needs a finisher around him, or forgive me if I'm misquoting, but does that necessitate a change in style? Or do you just think Pulisic or Zayek isn't getting the job done from an attacking standpoint? Yeah, so I, I do understand why you might not want a player like, I mean, I'm using Sergio Aguero just because that seems like maybe the most realistic option this summer. It, it feels like that that could happen. So I, I don't know if you would want someone like Sergio Aguero. Well, you wouldn't want him taking penalties for a start. And uh, no. I'm not sure you'd want him starting for Chelsea because I understand the fluidity of that front three is, is key to how Tuchel plays. But yeah, I think you would maybe drop out Maybe Ziek Pulisic has has been in really good form recently. I think he actually works well with with Werner and and has good relationships with the fullbacks. So I think maybe you would. To be honest, I think even Werner as, as a secondary striker in something of like a four four two would would work relatively well. Um, even if he's the one kind of breaking the lines in between to create space and cutting the ball back from the byline for someone like Aguero, I think that would work well. But I, I, I'm a fan of Timo Werner, and I think he's. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think uh, Chelsea have signed a lot of strikers who very, very quickly it becomes apparent that they're leaving. I'm thinking Alvaro um, Morata, who it, uh, it was it was obvious he was going to be gone after one season. Um, mm. And I don't think Werner's going to be like that. I think he, they're going to stick with him. They're going to persevere with him and they're going to get the best out of him in a, in a, in a, in a system. I, I like your positivity, Graham. I agree that one day Timo Werner will be onside at some point. So <laughs> I look forward to that day coming. Uh, but I think this was um, this was a good reminder of Chelsea's depth. We always talk about Man City's depth and how terrifying their bench can be. But you saw, you know, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Billy Gilmore, Ziyech having ah, a pretty starring. <laughs> indeed, indeed, yeah. Uh, and, and those kind of players coming in. It, it is a reminder that, yes, uh, Chelsea are pretty deep too. And they've got a lot, lot to fall back on as well, Graham. Yep, and Billy Gilmore is honestly. Obviously, I'm going to go from the Scottish perspective here. <laughs> you all, may, all know me well enough by now, uh, but <laughs> he is the most talented Scottish footballer I've seen in my lifetime. Naturally talented. We we don't produce players like him uh, who are diminutive, good with the ball, and he never ever looks out of his depth. Yeah, he ma- he makes mistakes. Like he, you know, he gave away the penalty I think in this game, and he he's been loose with the ball a, a, a few times this season, but. He looks at home in, in a team full of world-class players and it's just typically Scottish that he might not actually make our Euro squad for this summer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very impressed with him. And I think he just gives Chelsea that level of control as a depth option behind, I guess, Jorginho. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, so it, it definitely, definitely plenty of depth they've got there. One more thing I want to mention, gents, on this game before we leave it behind. Sergio Aguero, who we've talked about a couple of times already. 
I mean, you mentioned uh, Graham, maybe he goes to Chelsea. Taylor, Taylor, what do you think about Sergio Aguero? It's, it seems like he's driving his price down a little bit in recent weeks, doesn't it? Yeah, he just wants to make sure that he is a, a viable option for a couple different clubs as opposed to just the super spending clubs. So the best way to do that is to have a pretty obviously telegraph panenka that gets caught and then to have the most memeable face ever which i think i sent you both uh when chelsea got the winner and his face was just like oh no i did this <laughs> like it was it was brutal and and especially uh i didn't watch this live but i avoided the score to then rewatch and i thought when that penalty happened like oh here we go it's 3 or 4 nil to man city and mm. this is how it this is how the the season goes did not expect it to uh, that half to go the way it did did not expect that game to go the way it did so yeah i don't think sergio aguero is necessarily necessarily covering himself in glory for that one. He is winning in memes, though. You're right. There is that image of him looking shocked on the bench. And, of course, adding to a matter of days ago with him looking confused at the wrong number being called up by the assistant (laughs) referee in the Champions League. He's, He's winning there. The the meme, which I know, I think Graham still has not watched The Wire, but uh, the Weebay from The Wire meme of him uh, like having the revelatory moment where he grabs his chin and you see him look surprised, like that <laughs> is what Aguero absolutely looks like when Chelsea <laughs> score the winner, and it makes me laugh, even if it makes me sad for him. Oh, bless him. Well, these two teams will be meeting very shortly in the Champions League final, of course. Uh, we're going to come back after this short break with some La Liga title race fun and games. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We had two pretty big games in the Liga title race this weekend. We felt like Barcelona versus Atletico Madrid could have decided the title. It didn't. It was a draw. We had another game the following day, uh, Real Madrid against Sevilla. This one could have put Real Madrid in the driving seat for the title. It did not. It was a draw. So uh, maybe a slightly damp squib, to use a phrase which I think we've used recently on the Total Soccer Show to the confusion of many involved. Um, But uh, Graham, it's looking very interesting at the top. Let's talk about Barcelona versus Atleti. This one finishing goalless, but a pretty entertaining goalless draw, I would argue. Yeah, it, it was entertaining. I mean, it wasn't typical Atleti. If you'd, if you'd seen nil-nil before kickoff, you might have thought that Simeone had uh, Simeone'd this one up a little bit, and that that wasn't really the case, particularly in the first half, where I think Atleti 
felt their way into the game a little bit. First 15 minutes, they they, they were probably quite typically Atletico Madrid. And then mm. after about 15 minutes, they realised that there wasn't any more coming from Barcelona. And so they had a little bit of a go themselves. And the 20, the last 20 minutes of the first half, when they had chances, that really could have been the moment that, that Atletico, I think, won the title. If they'd, if they'd won the game, That I think it, it would almost certainly be there be their title but they, they they couldn't make one of the chances pay Suarez was quite wasteful in this in this mm. game I would say he was uh, th- there was a weird dynamic about this return to the camp now for him because the the public announcer welcomes him back to this the obviously his former club in the warm-up which was thought was a little bit strange they, he's chatting and laughing with Messi before kickoff he's hugging what looked like kind of Barcelona executives in the tunnel before kickoff <laughs> and then he snarled his way through the match in the face of uh, Ter Stegen and Gerard Piquet in particular. Gerard Piquet, who called him, quote, a fat man during <laughs> the match, <laughs> which if, if that's what Gerard Piquet's calling his friends, you know, what's, what did he call uh, Bartomeu? Um, and yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a strange, as I say, weird, weird dynamic about Suarez returning to supposedly face a team full of his friends and then ending up almost fight, physically fighting them on the pitch. Yeah. Which just show you, like, because I, like, like, I can understand those moments of, like, oh, you're going back. And, and we saw it um, with, like, Matt Beasler in MLS this weekend of, like, he brought over a jersey saying thank you to the old supporters. Like, you can have that relationship. But even if Matt Beasler had then, like, thrown an elbow in that game and gotten a red card, I don't think he is getting that level of, of treatment and those sort of jibes thrown at him from former teammates. So that does kind of say that maybe there were some other things going on that Luis Suarez wasn't the most popular, at least with Jared Piquet, or maybe Jared Piquet was all too ready to uh, to twist the knife to pour some salt, to throw hurtful words about weight and body shaming. Oh. I was distracted slightly, by the way, Taylor. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, Ray Hudson calling him Suarezito all the time. Is that a... What? <laughs> I, I kind of... Don't listen to Ray Hudson and simultaneously <laughs> listen to everything he says. It's just a, like, oh, that was a good one, Ray. I, I do sometimes enjoy when he tries stuff for the second time, when, like, he said it earlier in a game and it didn't quite work. So then the game, like, maybe a week later, he goes for it again. He goes back to that well. Because Suarez, or uh, Messi has definitely been slippery like an eel at least three different times this season. You know how you see, like, Arlo White posts on Twitter his, um, his formation boards, he's got all his information. <laughs> do you think Ray yeah. Hudson is just a yes. bunch of... Uh, yes. <laughs> It's the old. It's like the 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 old Andy Dick joke about how George W. Bush wrote his speeches, where he's just throwing darts at certain words, and it's like like it's the he's got or the Family Guy joke generator of like it's it's a noun, it's an adjective, and it's a color, and that's what he uses to describe a little messy. Whatever they are, he has to find a way to make it work. I think we stumbled upon a game show that Ray Hudson should absolutely host <laughs> when he's done doing commentary. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, one other slightly distracting thing I'll say. I don't know if it was on the broadcast which you were watching as well, Graham. The virtual fans they put in the Camp new stand so like these fake fans all around the stadium and then when it cut to like a, sh- a shot on the sideline you could see the stadium's completely empty <laughs> that that was it, it made it look like a video game and i didn't enjoy that very much i don't like them doing that i don't know if anyone else felt that way i, 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 pre- I prefer it i prefer it to having virtual sponsors as i notice mls has started putting over the top of fans even yes. when fans are in the stadium yeah <laughs> I think I think everyone just needs to stop. That's how I feel. Like just show the empty stadium, but like uh the Man City, the Man City have the one that like it's not it's like we don't really care or we aren't really here or something that's meant to be I'm assuming the fans aren't here so we have like the banners stretched out covering the stands that have different messages on them. But again like like attempted Super League club who didn't consult the fans. Please don't tell me about how much you value the fans. And so many of those sort of like obvious moments of juxtaposition from these different clubs at this p- specific time. It's starting to rail like wear real, real thin. I, that's why I appreciate the teams that just put in the simulated fans and the cutouts of fans. Oh, Let's just go that enough. route instead. The, the, the city we're never really here is from one of their old songs. Um, but, yeah. but there's there's a there's an old one at West Brom. Is it like the Lord is my shepherd? It's it's a very biblical sounding thing they have on their seats. But uh, we, we've gone slightly off track talking no, about that's Barcelona. Just, that's just what they say about Sam Allardyce. That's all. <laughs> um, let's talk about Barcelona then, Taylor. Um, yeah. What do you think about what Ronald Koeman is doing here? Was there a bit of kidology here, by the way, with matching the um, matching the the formation of Atleti? I'll ask you that, and because um, now, now we're using that as a, as a, as a please as a bit of terminology. Uh, and what do you think about what 
Koeman's doing here and does it reflect on whether he's staying long term? Is he trying to build a new young team in any way? What are your thoughts here? Well, I mean, I think this is the formation that they've they've been utilizing this season that's been mostly working for them. And I think, to some extent, Atleti, even though they're in that 4-4-2, they defend in a, in a 5-4-1, so you end up matching the shape. I think that makes sense. I think Kuman not being there in person, I enjoyed when they very clearly caught him telling his uh, assistants what to do. Did you all catch that moment? Well, on the on the phone? On the, yeah. 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 Yeah, and then it cut to, I think his assistant, it was either just before, it was just before it cut to Kuman on the phone, it cut to hit one of his assistants having a word with the fourth official, and then this other one just so, uh, so, like slowly comes awkwardly walking up and clearly has an earbud in, and it's just <laughs> like, gee, I wonder what his role is in this equation, and then there's Ronald Kuman telling them who to sub on and who to sub off. Uh, so yeah, I think he still had his fingerprints on this one, even if he wasn't uh, necessarily there on the touchline, but I thought... Overall, this is about what we've come to expect from from Barcelona. I I, I don't really have an answer for you about the Ronald Koeman thing because I think a lot of that will depend on what happens uh, with the fallout from the elections and mm. like what was promised and what is delivered in the end and if Xavi wants to manage Barcelona now or in a couple years. <laughs> Just keeping the seat warm, maybe. Is that yeah. what you're thinking? Yeah. I do wonder if we've had that, like, if that has now, that was a moment, and now we're moving past that moment of, like, Frank Lampard, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Andrea Pirlo, Gennaro Gattuso, like, all of the former greats are going to be great men. Oh, no, never mind. Like, and now I wonder if we're going to move back to, nope, we're going to get in Carlo Ancelotti, we're going to sign him from Everton, and we're going to find a way to make this work. Unleash the Allegri! Somebody! Somebody <laughs> unleash him! Rafa Benitez is still out there somewhere as well, isn't he? He anyway. is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, Graham, with, with Barcelona, it's, uh, they, they're record isn't good isn't great against uh in quotes big teams this season uh and we very much include Atleti among those good teams it seems like they sort of lack the creativity necessary the midfield control perhaps and it's a lot of last ditch defending to get them out of certain situations when they do face a half decent side is that a fair characterization yeah, absolutely. And I went back and I wrote a piece on this at the weekend. I went back and looked at their big game record this season um, against elite level teams, which I know is a little bit of a fluffy description, but I kind of, I kind of uh, liberally applied my own distinction there to decide who were the big teams and, and who were not. Um, so they questions. played... Okay, uh, they, on you go. <laughs> well, I just want to know, like, what, what was the distinction? Like, are, is AC Milan a big side? So basically, if you have an email from Agnelli, Perez, and Joe Glazer <laughs> in your inbox over the last month, you're an elite level team. That's what I was wondering. With so loads you, oh, of Tot- legacy fans. Good news, Tottenham fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the headline. All right, sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. No, go so ahead. I, was, I, I, I worked out that they played eight elite level teams this season, Super League teams, if, if you will, and they don't, they'd only beaten one, which was Juventus, and that yeah. was a Juventus without Cristiano Ronaldo all the way back in October. Um, so they do have a little bit of a big game problem. I, I wonder just how much of that is down to inexperience, and I think maybe the... The incredible run that Barcelona have been on in the last few months, and it has been an incredible run. Even after this draw, they've won uh, sixteen of their last ninety or sixteen of their last twenty La Liga games, which is is, is an incredible run of form. But I, I I think that maybe changed expectation expectations in what is still a transitional season for Barcelona. So they they lose Busquets in the in in the first half of of this match, and I would consider PK Busquets and Messi to be the experienced figures in this team. I know Griezmann is around about 30 years old, but I don't know about you, but he doesn't really come across as a very experienced player, either in character or in terms of the way he plays. So I think those three are the experienced spine and you lose Busquets in the centre of the pitch and you put on Elijah Mariba, who is a brilliant player and I'm a massive fan of him, but not only is he a different sort of player to Busquets, he's not a controlling sort of midfielder. He um, is, a, is a different sort of character and can't talk others through the game like Busquets can. So I, I, I do wonder just how much of that poor big game record is down to the fact that they have a really young team. And, and recently, Pedri, who I think I might have mentioned as one of my signings of the season, and I still stand by that, but recently, in recent weeks, I think he's started to look a little bit like an 18-year-old. He is, I think fatigue is a bit of an issue for him. And in these big games, he does tend to go missing a little bit, maybe needs a little bit more confidence and, and belief in himself to really make his mark against the best teams. And I think what happened at the weekend was just another sign of that. I do feel, and Ryan, to bring it back to your original question when it comes to Kuman, I feel like he is, like, maybe he could be doing better. Maybe he's not the right man in the right time. I can't say that with confidence. What I can say, I think, is that 
he's a manager trying to balance Barcelona's erratic recruitment over the years, and it feels a little bit like a whack-a-mole situation where anytime you change things to put a person into a more ideal situation. So Antoine Griezmann, for example, I think historically much more comfortable in a front two. He's similar to what we were talking about with, was it Aguero earlier who needs a, who needs a partner? No, uh, Werner. Werner wants that like strike partner, and I think that is Antoine Griezmann. So you move him alongside Messi, but now you've got to kind of move some other players around. Frankie de Jong maybe wants to play as that six, but if you have Busquets there, you've got to find another spot for Frankie de Jong until Sergio Busquets gets hurt, and now we can try Frankie de Jong there. But it's kind of moving part around that don't quite fit mm-hmm. and I think if you gave him another season and a, maybe a transfer window to figure some things out to sell some players on maybe they look like a better team but I also think that might be a luxury they won't necessarily be willing to afford uh, mm-hmm. so we, we'll see what happens with them this summer but it could go a number of different ways and I think sticking with Kuman isn't necessarily the worst thing I think getting rid of Kuman, if a better option is there and a better plan is there also not the worst thing. It's just what kind of plan they're following, if there's a plan at all. I think I think of Coleman, sorry to butt in there, Ryan, but I, I no, think no. of Coleman as, uh, in, in much the same way I do Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, to be honest. I mm-hmm. thought Coleman and Solskjaer, were at the, I didn't think they were good appointments at the time, but they've both shown in their work since then that they've at, yeah. least, lear- they've at least earned the opportunity to keep going. I think that's the, that's the same thing with with Coleman. I, I I didn't think he was going to get a second season, but I think now he's he's earned that opportunity. He's shown enough that and there's enough progress in certain areas that you know you give him you give him time to see how much further he can go. But I still have that sense in the back of my mind that he's not going to be able to take Barcelona the whole way. I just looked up uh, Sergio Busquets' age, by the way. I had him at about 34. I thought he played with Koeman, but um, he's, uh, <laughs> he's 32. So, um, But there will need to be some changes around that position. It'll be interesting how De Jong is used there and, and uh, maybe Maribi needing to work on his poop housery a little bit to fit in uh, in that kind of si- uh, situation. Um, Leo Messi, we should probably talk about him oh. in this game and that 41st-minute opportunity he had, like an amazing run cutting in from the right. There's one touch where he beats four Atleti players with one single touch. It could have been one of his best ever goals. And to bring, bring it back to Ray Hudson, I think he would have passed out with joy if it, if it would have happened because he has, he has one setting when Messi has an opportunity and uh, it's very excitable. But it, it was almost a shame that one didn't go in, Taylor, because it, was, it could have been absolutely spectacular. He could follow you into a revolving door and still come out first. That's what Ray Hudson said about that <laughs> moment from Little Messi. Uh, yeah, that, that, that might have made him like spontaneously combust. That would have been the end of Ray Hudson. Because he does have the moments where he's trying to create drama and a sense of excitement as a cross is just sort of like meekly caught in midair. It's like, oof! And then nothing happens. But yeah. in that one, you could hear him. It was just a sequence of sounds more so than anything <laughs> else that led to that one moment. And then I think when he realizes that Oblock actually made the save and it wasn't just a, a shot that went wide, that furthered the intensity of the emotion that he was experiencing. Because it was, even like for Lionel Messi, he has one of these every now and then of just like, even for Lionel Messi, that was like next world. And that, mm. that touch you mentioned that bypasses three, four players at once that I think it ends up with the like Maradona versus Belgium level hilarity of like six defenders yeah. chasing him trying to make something happen. That was a world-class moment. I, I think credit to, but then also blame on Jan Oblak for making that save. You don't need to make that save. Just let that go in and give us a highlight moment. Oblak versus Messi definitely was the battle in this one. and Both, yeah. both, both very impressive indeed. Uh, I, I feel for uh, the BN Sports uh, audio producer who sets Hudson's levels, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Ray, lean away from the mic, man. Lean away from the mic. <laughs> It's got to be a crapshoot as what, what you're going to get, certainly, when you do that. Um, let's talk very briefly, uh, Graham, about Real Madrid against Sevilla, which took place on Sunday, with Real Madrid getting a chance to uh, very much get a footing in in this crazy title race. The title race, by the way, at the moment, with Atleti still on top with 77 points, Madrid and Barcelona both with 75, and Sevilla flagging a little on 71. It looks like they might be slightly out of this one, but it was a bit of a, a, a curious game. Eden Hazard getting a 94th-minute equaliser, Graham, and... Uh, a very interesting penalty situation. Oh yeah, very interesting indeed. So for anyone who, who didn't see it, um, there is a penalty call at one end. There's, I think it's a corner kick or it's certainly a cross into the, the, the Real Madrid box. Eder Militao very clearly, it does strike his arm, but the, the, the decision is obviously, as is always with handball and, and VAR now, is whether it actually constitutes a penalty kick. But then Real Madrid, within the same move, come flying forward on the counter-attack. Karim Benzema... 
um, goes down un, un, under the challenge of the Sevilla goalkeeper Bono. That's a penalty kick, and so obviously all all chaos as, as chaos is uh, is unfolds at, 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 at Fredo de Stefano. They go to the monitor. The penalty kick is given to Sevilla, which means that the penalty kick for Real Madrid and Benzema is is ruled out. And um, Mr. Chip, who I don't know if you follow Mr. Chip, Mr. I Chip do. is the yep, he's the Spanish football stats guy. Who um, Spanish media have this strange thing of making people cartoons. It's like that El Cheringuito TV show, which is very much. <laughs> Do you know the Simpsons open wide for some soccer? It's, I feel like it's very much in that sort of... <laughs> anyway, Mr. Chip uh, tweeted out that's the first time that that's ever happened in MLS, in, in MLS, sorry, in La Liga, where VAR has been used to rule out a penalty kick by giving a penalty kick before that penalty kick, if you follow me. So yes, mm. chaos. Absolute Didn't chaos. Didn't have a moment like that in the Chelsea City game as well, where it felt like there could be two different... like. Penalties are two different VAR incidents at the same time, and I think in the end, neither one ended up happening. But it was a weird weekend for VAR on the whole. It was indeed. Um, Graham, before we move on from La Liga, I think I saw you write something for Eurosport, which you put up today, about was the gist of it that none of these teams deserve this title? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, These three teams are all pretty poor this season, I think we can agree. But in a strange way, that's produced the best Spanish title race I, I can ever remember. And the team that, uh, that one of my main takeaways from the Real Madrid-Sevilla game was just how much regret Sevilla will be feeling after uh, losing that game last Monday night against Athletic Club at home, which they really should have won. And had they held on for uh, for a win at Real Madrid, having beaten Athletic Club, I know there's a lot of ifs here, but they would have been right in the picture. They would have been one point off the, off the top of the table. And uh, Taylor, your prediction of Sevilla winning yeah. the whole thing could have come to pass, but... So this was like a shot so. at me. That's what this felt like from the very beginning, is Graham just taking shots. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys take shots at me for predicting that Spurs would win the titles, so this is just my payback. Us? Never. Graham, is your favorite SNL sketch of all time, if it ain't Scottish, it's crap? Just wondering. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever seen that sketch, but it sounds... Oh. See, we don't get SNL here. There's no... And, and I, you're not I, missing I, much, honestly. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen that now they're putting Elon Musk on it. So, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure I want to catch that. The yeah. less said about that, the better. I do enjoy when, when we ask Graham if he's seen things and he reverts to, like, as though Scotland is Mars. It's like, oh, no, we're in, we're in Scotland. We don't have that. It's like, what, you don't have electricity, Graham? Like, I, you've seen things, right? Come on. <laughs> they, I have invented, seen... they invented electricity and everything else. Yeah, we invented the TV <laughs> as well, maybe, I think, possibly. We're, we're claiming that. <laughs> All right, well, plenty of... Uh, <laughs> We're having that. <laughs> I like it. I like uh, it. Let's, uh, we're going to move on to talk about the Bundesliga after these messages, but it seems uh, plenty going on in La Liga and not so much going on in Scotland. We'll be back shortly. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. 
All right, Total Soccer Show, we are back. Let's talk Bundesliga. Borussia Dortmund took on uh, ARB Rassenballsport Leipzig. It was 3-2 to Dortmund, this one, uh, with Dortmund inadvertently handing Bayern Munich the title with this win. It was uh, Bayern's ninth consecutive title, which they capped off, by the way, with a 6-0 win over Gladbach for good measure. Robin Lewandowski on 39 goals, one short of Gerd Müller's record. By the way, the last time Bayern Munich failed to win the Bundesliga, uh, says ESPN FC, Alfonso Davies was 10 years old. Time flies when you're winning Bundesligas, I guess. Um, but uh, Dortmund uh, put it, keeping their top four dream alive with this one, uh, Taylor. Uh, and this one was, of course, a, an, another dress rehearsal. We had a Champions League dress rehearsal. We have a dress rehearsal for the DFB Pokal final, which is taking mm. place this Thursday at 2.45 Eastern as well. Tell me what you made of this one and tell me what you made of Borussia Dortmund and the roller coaster ride that it is to support this team. Not that you do. So I think I'm going to say something very controversial. Ryan, I know you're not going to agree because you don't think he's that good. But I think Jaden Sancho is pretty good. I, th- I think that's, uh, that's a statement I'm willing to make and, uh, and back up even if you want to malign him. You've confused me with Jamie Carragher, but go on. <laughs> Mostly, I just wanted to troll you because I know that you're excited to talk about him, <laughs> and you should be because uh, every like I have those moments every now and then when I think how much for Jaden Sancho, and then there are games like this when he, it's not even that the winner is a messy ask like dribble through nine people and then scores. It's just that you see those little things that are difficult to coach. He plays the ball on that like kind of reverse back heel, but then rather than just stand and watch this perfect pass, he's hustling to get to the back post to get himself into a situation and adjusting a little bit to make sure he's got enough space away from a defender and those little moments of like it's it's almost the killer instinct that you cannot coach and it's a big reason why they're able to pull this one back I guess pull victory from the jaws of defeat after having looked like they were going to win it was a confusing game for Borussia Dortmund is I guess what I'm getting at yeah and uh, obviously it was a standout game for Sancho his fellow Englishman Erling Haaland was um was uh, injured for this one. He was playing the Sergio Ramos role, but have it being cut to being expressive in the stands, which was very enjoyable in its own right. Um, Graham, what did you make of this? What did you make of Borussia Dortmund here? Is this proof that they're not a one-man team unless you consider that they were because Sancho was so good? I, I, I mean, obviously in this game, maybe they were a little bit of a one-man team, but obviously the one man I think you're referring to is Erling Haaland there. I, I, I never Yorkshire's thought- own, yes. Yeah, I mean, Gio Reyna was born in England as well, right? Correct. Yeah, are you claiming those all three don't, of don't them? Don't do then? this, Graham. Don't do this. <laughs> don't do this. Well, this is a road we've trodden many times. Yes, I claim them all. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, I'll have the I'll have TV, television, and you can have <laughs> Gio Reyna and uh, Erling Haaland. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I never thought that Dortmund were a one man team, and this I guess this is this is just a reminder. I mean, Sancho has had a pretty. I know he started off slowly, but he's had a pretty good season I mean I think he's got 16 goals and 12 assists apparently mm. in a season where apparently he's he's underwhelmed and I, I've, I've watched him a lot this season where I, I actually think he's almost matured as as a player I'll, I, I, I'm tempted to say that even though his numbers have not been as impressive as last season I think he might be a better player than he was last summer when obviously there was all the talk about his future and and even just down to the fact to the to the fact that he has I think played almost as much on the left side as he has on the right side this season he just seems to be a little bit more I guess the word is ambidextrous and his ability to to, to go both ways for, for, for Dortmund and um yeah, I'm looking forward to see what happens this summer because I don't know if you caught his comments after the game, but he he didn't exactly he won't have filled Dortmund fans with much confidence that he's staying. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, not the only one in that camp, I'd imagine, in Dortmund. I like the way it goes both ways. Like ACDC, like the electricity that your people invented, by the way, Graham. Very good <laughs> stuff there. Um, Taylor, Thorgan Azar had a really good one as well. I, I thought, um, you know, the, the back heel assist for the opener created plenty of chances of his own. He's the best Hazard out there right now, is he not? <laughs> I mean, until his brother had a brilliant instep, clearly meant to do exactly what he did, equalizer. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, I thought he was really impressive. I thought, especially so, given that at times Dortmund chose not to change their game plan like from when Erling Haaland is in there and Torgan Hazard is not Erling Haaland so when they would go long and expect him to bring that ball down and fight off Opamecano to make something happen same for Gio Reyna on occasion it's like I like Gio Reyna he's not going to win a 50-50 physical battle with Opamecano but I thought they both did a good enough job there to kind of try to engage physically but then aside from that I thought the way they had some really solid moments of interplay and I thought Hazard 
dropping in to create overloads in the midfield, but pulling wide to open up space for other players or to kind of combine down the channels. But yeah, I thought it was a good game. I think, again, with both these teams, we see the depth that's there. It's not quite as impressive as, say, Manchester City and Chelsea because the budgets are obviously not the same. But to not have, I think for Leipzig, you had Tyler Adams hurt, you had Nkuku hurt, you had Soboslai hurt, but you still have lots of players coming off the bench to contribute. Uh, Haidara has... Uh, the the packing set on that one was I think he removed five players with one pass to set up one of the goals for Leipzig. So you have bench involvement there. Julian Brandt obviously being heavily involved in the winning goal for Dortmund. So like good involvement across the board. It shows you how strong these teams are, even if they're a bit lacking in the consistency department at times. I thought. I th- Go on, sorry, Graham. Graham. I, I was going to say that I thought this game was. Uh, one of my takeaways was that both these teams would be really well set to challenge Bayern Munich next season if they weren't all losing their managers and their best players to Bayern Munich <laughs> this summer. Yeah, that doesn't help. No. It doesn't really help. There's a, there's a story uh, in the English press today that Jaden Sancho's wanted by, uh, by Bayern Munich this summer, and every reply is just, oh, come on. <laughs> like, not this, not this one as well. Edward was think- not there to, uh, to bring him to England anymore. Is that what it is? I think I feel like Ed Woodward not being at United would maybe improve his chances of <laughs> going to England, <laughs> or just paying twice as much as they should. Maybe that was the, yeah. the chances have gone down of that. Perhaps um, we mentioned. Does that- Holland have a release clause? Do either of you remember? I can not this remember summer. For sure, not this summer, but next summer. Is that Sem- how it works? The the report is seventy five million euros next summer. So that feels that feels like a Bayern Munich thing to trigger that in January of 2022. Um, Greg, I'll call you up there, Graham. I don't think that's quite right. It's not actually a monetary clause. It's oh, right, you have okay. to wrestle him. You have to wrestle him, and that's how. You <laughs> I thought you were being serious for a second. There's no amount of money you can put on it because no one's ever no one's ever been victorious in doing it before. But uh, we'll he comes. I have, feel, he... I have a feeling you could beat him. I have a feeling he's 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 used to being so big that I feel like if you're like a good ground fighter, you could take him down and and, and make sure it works of Rolling Holland. So if you are a good grappler and and you have some UFC training. And you're running a like semi-pro football club. Go fight Erling Haaland. He has to play for you. That's what his contract says. So let's make this happen, folks. <laughs> you're up, Chicky Bajiristan. Let's see what you got. <laughs> anyway, let's quickly talk about uh, uh, Leipzig in this game. Um, not, not the best defending, I would say, from Leipzig for a team who you typically characterize as being pretty good at defending. You know, they've got the situation where when their they're fullbacks push forward, they're a little bit exposed at times. But it, on, on, say, the third goal, for example, here, it seemed like Sancho was pretty unattended by, I think it would have been Upamecano who was who was vaguely near him. He was played on side by Orban in that situation as well. It seemed like, to me, uh, Taylor, that they sat deep. They sat quite deeper than I expected them to do, and they were quite low pressure when they were in these defensive positions as well. Yep, uh, both the first and the third goals come about from Leipzig dropping too deep, and then when they do step doing so... Erratically, so I think for the first goal, Upamakano keeps everybody on side by a few mm. yards. For the third, I think it's a couple different players on the left side are maybe five to ten yards deeper than the players on the right side, which is not what you want from your defense, and certainly what not what you want if you're Julian Nagelsmann, unless you are trying to give the title. Uh, I guess, like, two Bayern Munichs, so you're going to take over there and you want to maybe start off on a good foot, so then you don't want to keep the title race going. But that aside, it was a confusing game for me. Maybe it's because he doesn't have uh, some of his usual starters in the, in the formation there, and so maybe that's why, like, if you have Karate in there, they look a little bit more organized. But it's a lot of maybes, because I found myself just kind of surprised by how Leipzig, the system didn't seem as sort of, like, uh, in shape, in form, rigid as we're used to from a Julian Nagelsmann team. And I feel like I didn't hear as much high-pitched screaming from him either. So that's also <laughs> kind of confusing. I can't be the only one who get, who feels a little bit daunted trying to analyse Leipzig. I feel like oh, I, yeah. sometimes I need like a UEFA pro licence just to watch their matches. <laughs> and so when things go wrong, like for the, that, that, uh, the defending for the, the second goal was the one I noticed where they seem to be in three different lines as, the, as Guerrero passes to Sancho yeah. and he finishes... My instinct is obviously to go, oh, well, something's gone wrong there. But then but then the way Nagelsmann's Leipzig are, I, I, I counter that with, well, maybe that's just something he was trying that, that didn't really work as well as he'd hoped. But, yeah. Yeah, and, and that I, was... Yeah, that second one especially, good call, Graham. That was, I think they had eight players, eight outfield players in the box and still did not cover the two Dortmund players that were in there. 
Well, an exciting roller coaster for the neutral. Certainly, five goals in that one. RB Leipzig in second. Uh, they have not won this league this time around. Dortmund in fourth with 58 points, helped out by Eintracht Frankfurt getting a draw, uh, who are one point behind them in fifth. Uh, let's, gentlemen, turn our attentions to Major League Soccer and El Trafico, LA Galaxy against LAFC. This one finishing 2-1 to the Galaxy. Um, Taylor Chicharito, good. <laughs> yes <laughs> um, that's not even a yes and that's just a yes uh, yeah because he gets he gets the the first goal then he has the assist and it's a very well worked assist for the second even if he's not necessarily playing it to Jonathan DeSantos I think it, it shows you his experience that he knows that if he faints one way gets to the end line and then cuts it back, even without picking his head up, there's going to be someone there. And in this case, there are two players, and it ends up being Jonathan DeSantos who gets the winner. But even before that, he's he is such a goal threat this season, but also such a just threat that you can see teams not wanting to give him any opportunities to limit his effectiveness wherever they can. I think it's why LAFC changed their formation. Maybe this is a thing they had long planned to do. Maybe it's a thing they've experimented with before. But I do think this was... Bradley doing the Bielsa thing of if they're going to go with a front two, we want three defenders there so we always have superiority so that one of those defenders can always step and track Chicharito when he drops in and creates overloads. And I think that worked to some extent, but at the same time, then when you uh, concede a goal off of a slide tackle, maybe there's not much else you could have done about that one, but it's still (laughs) a great finish from Chicharito and a great pass and tackle from, I forget who had the pass and tackle. Derek Williams. Williams. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you've got to love the lesser spotted tackle assist. Oh, it's so good. It was wonderful, wasn't so it? So good. Yeah. And also, um, Chicharito may be a little bit offside from yeah. that one as yeah. well. But <laughs> my understanding is that they treat offsides a little bit differently uh, in terms of VAR in MLS to certainly they do in the Premier League I li- way. I like it, it that was, way. Yeah, it seems Tiger, a bit more... Tie goes to the runner. Yep. Exactly. If it's not clear and obvious and they let it, they let the call on the field stand rather than um, making everybody stand around watching a giant screen to see if anything's going to happen on that call. So that does seem certainly better. But this this was a good response definitely from the Galaxy from Greg Vanny's side getting back to winning ways after having their butts handed to them very much in Seattle last weekend. Uh, is, is, that, is that a sign maybe, Graham, of of, of, of vanism of being able to bounce back where maybe LAFC wouldn't have bounced back quite so quickly from from a pounding like that before yeah absolutely and I, I think it, the the spirit of this group I mean I know we're only four games into the new season still time for things to go wrong but we've not really seen this from the galaxy since what the the Bruce Arena sort of days where you you just know there's going to be some form of response from them I thought the way they they sat deep the galaxy and, and invited pressure on themselves a bit particularly kind of in the second half when it felt like LAFC were on the verge of scoring a, a well they got their equalizer and then maybe a second goal it felt like they might grab I thought that was maybe a response to the defeat to the Sounders where Vanny tried to play Seattle a little bit of their own game um, and, it, and it didn't really work so I think that's a sign that he, he is willing to change things and 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 learn from the defeats that they, they have and there will be defeats for the Galaxy this season because they, their defensive uh, structure isn't quite there and maybe even their defensive personnel but I think just taking it back to Chicharito a little bit I mean all his um, all his goals this season have been very typical Chicharito goals which we might we, we would probably expect from him but one of the things that maybe we we didn't expect was just the the intensity that he has brought to that group yeah. of players and that kind of the high press I know I'm contradicting myself a little bit by saying that the Galaxy were sitting deep but they were also high the, the triggers were also there for them to, for them to press high and you, you see the the second goal which comes from Dunbar who is outnumbered you know three to one and out on um, the corner and and wins the ball and, and does something with it I mean that that's a big difference for me between you know Shalotto's team last season and, and Vanny's team this season. Yeah, I would I would agree, Graham, because you could see even with the relationship with Zubac, because we've seen Vanny, we've we've only covered LA, I think, on the on this show. So <laughs> yes. this is like we're a, LA podcast our now. fifth game. We'll, we'll we'll hopefully we'll change that up at some point. But that does give us the advantage of going back and looking at his different lineups. Vanny has had different players available at different times for any number of reasons, but he does seem to be slowly figuring out his best formation. It seems like he's still trying to figure out how best to partner Chicharito. Do you go with a front two? Do you go with a front three? And who do you put around him? In this game, it was the front two with Zubak. But I didn't think that relationship was as solid, and you could see that, especially in the first half. It was a lot of Chicharito after the ball had gone 
turning and, and telling him, like, you've got to be two yards closer. You've got to be three yards further away. You need to be here. You need to be there. And it was a lot of instruction from Chicharito. And I think a less motivated, less up for it Javier Hernandez doesn't do that. I think it's more of like, all right, well, that didn't happen. I'm just frustrated. And there were certainly moments of frustration in the second half when he maybe should have gotten a pass or somebody else should have gotten a pass. Zubak has one where he can't get the ball out from under his feet. Then I think it ends up just shooting from a very tight angle and about 30 yards over. And there are like dueling looks of disgust from his teammates and that they continue to fight anyway and get the result. That's the level of resiliency that I don't think was there last year that does seem to be there this season, at least in games like this when they get up forward and Chicharito does things. Very much so. And maybe something that should be noted also, also six yellow cards for the Galaxy in this yeah. one. Uh, a little bit chippy. There was 25% capacity um, crowd in, in, in Carson for this one as well, so maybe a bit more atmosphere. It was an entertaining game, lots of energy, plenty of chances created, but no red card. It was missing a red card, I felt. Yeah, we just, it really felt like we were maybe going to get one, but everybody, again, you had the discipline of maybe Bob Bradley and Greg, Greg Vanny saying, like, no, like, pull out of that one. We don't need that one to happen because you had the professional fouls. You had the aggressive fouls. Uh, Jorge Villafania gets the first yellow, and I think even that one, I was thinking, that was kind of high. Like, he knew what he was doing there. It was, I think it was a footstep, but even then, I think they knew what they were. They were doing. I like that though, because you get the idea that it's it is the derby. They do sort of want to beat each other. They do want supremacy there. Uh, on the list of things we did, like I had a question for you all, if you don't mind. What do you all make of the in-game coaching uh, interviews? Graham, did you spot that one? So you, you, you broke up a little bit there. The what interviews? The in-game interviews? You, yeah, where you get you get to hear what, what the, Greg what the and Bob Bradley are doing. Yeah, yeah um, I, they feel a little bit alien to me. I feel like you're not getting much uh, insight when a manager is quite literally having to watch the game <laughs> as as he's talking to you. I don't know. I, I, I like they're trying new things, but yeah, I don't know how much you're actually learning from that. I wondered that as well. And then when uh, they talked about Bradley, he said like, yeah, Palacios like, could be doing more. We haven't really caused Araujo. We haven't made Araujo think too much. So I, I'd like to see a little more from Palacios. And then that is the halftime substitution he made was Palacios off. I did think, okay, like, so we know, we kind of know what Bob Bradley is approaching these in a straightforward, no nonsense way, which is about how Bob yeah. Bradley approaches everything. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's fair. I think, I think it depends on really the manager, doesn't it? Like, yeah, who, who, Bob Bradley probably doesn't care about giving too much away to, mm-hmm. you know, Fox or whoever, whoever's broadcasting, but um, some managers aren't so good at, at that. Yes. Yeah, Bob Bradley also has the Mortal Kombat ability to steal people's souls. L- lesser known <laughs> fact, but is true. He can do that. Oh gosh! Wow. Yeah. Maybe maybe he does that in in the next in-game interview. We shall see. We shall see, Taylor. <laughs> um, is it just me, um, or is MLS a bit more fun this year? A bit more exciting? I don't know whether it's just because we're coming out of a difficult season last season. Yeah, that's starting to see crowds come back. I, I know it's still quite gung. It's, it's always been a fel- relatively gung ho league, but it just seems like. There's a lot of games which there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of energy. I don't know whether I'm. It's just in me or whether it's the league. Is it me or the league, Taylor? I I think is the league the way of saying that it's it's the league being better? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's or am I better? <laughs> Tell me I'm good. <laughs> you are good. You are good. But I'm with you. It's it's been really fun and I think part of that is maybe obviously it did not end up going the way we had all hoped, but the CONCACAF Champions League the way it started with every team scoring goals and being excited and red cards and controversies. I think that laid the groundwork and then we just have more talent i think we have more players we we have at least in my mind we have fewer like wait till the summer when they get those two designated players they've signed and then it will be fine we have a lot of teams that are still a work in progress but we seem to have some teams that are really figuring it out and have all of their assets or at least most of their assets and even the ones that don't like seattle are still uh, finding ways to win without jordan morris and finding ways to grind results when they need to or play really well when they need to so i think on the whole it's been a strong start to the season and i'm very much enjoying major league soccer more than just the LA Galaxy, I promise. Yeah. And I, I, sorry, Ryan. I, th- I think it's also proof that the, the fans make such a difference because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the only kind of major league or the league that I think we watch that's got fans at the moment. I don't think like the Premier League doesn't, La Liga doesn't, Bundesliga doesn't. So MLS is, is the only league that's got fans in, in stadiums right now. And I don't know about you, but the winning goal from Dos Santos, I, I just thought was amazing. And I've missed that so much. The the way he kind of yeah. pulls his shirt off and, and also the sight of um, like 10 players all rushing at once mm-hmm. to like the corner flag of the pitch to celebrate with the fans. Like I've, I've honestly missed that so much. And it, and, and it, it didn't hit me until that goal. And I, I just thought it was amazing that 
Also, do you think yellow cards for shirts coming off have gone down in pandemic because players are not taking their shirts off? <laughs> Is there like oh, yes. an expected yellow cards figure that would tell us that? <laughs> expected yellow cards for taking shirt off. X, Y. I yeah. do. First of all, I think that needs to be a stat. I agree with you, Graham. I also think the players have sort of stopped doing it and thus forgotten because Jonathan DeSantos did that and then I think tried to like grab the LA badge to sort of kiss it to like rep that, but then realized he'd taken his shirt off and was thus doing that with the the sort of training bra thing that they all wear <laughs> underneath. And, and it's way less intimidating to grab the badge of the training bra and be like, yeah, what's up? It's like, no, nah, man, you already took the jersey off. You got to put that back on to try that to try that look. I think, yeah, it is wonderful advertising for the training bra manufacturers out there. Uh, and as is the Inter-Miami jersey, which I think I mentioned goes three through within yeah. about 10 minutes and you just see that training bra through their shirts, which are nice shirts, let's be fair. That's actually that. the Inter-Miami shirt is what Graham wears when it's, uh, when it's sexy time because it is so see-through and, you know, when things get a little bit it's steamy it becomes even more transparent that's mm. that's graham's go-to yep. it's, it's all soccer kid all the time it's all on that only fans account yep. <laughs> so i'm really giving it the hard sell today <laughs> uh, you really are <laughs> i just really hope there's people actually searching only fans to find your account graham. that's all I, that's my only sincere hope from this situation uh that's that wraps up the games we we're going to talk about today guys let's go into injury time anything else we want to talk about from this weekend graham what do you got from Italy, I think we should probably mention uh, AC Milan beating, not just beating, uh, kind of thumping Juventus at home 3-0. And that means Juventus are down to fifth in the Serie A table, which obviously would mean they are not in the Champions League next season, which raises a lot of questions or speculation about Andrea Pirlo's job security. Not so much whether he will be sacked, but when he'll be sacked. There's some reports that he'll go this week. There's others that say he'll go at the end of the season. Either way, it really feels like Juventus have a lot of work ahead of them. And yeah, that was proven by their terrible, terrible performance at the weekend against AC Milan. What a shame. I'm very sad for Juventus, as you can hear from the uh, <laughs> sincerity in, in my voice here. Taylor, anything from you, sir, before we head off? Uh, yeah, just a quick shout for the Portland Thorns, who won the NWSL Challenge Cup this weekend uh, on penalties over Gotham FC. So credit to them. I think they were the expected winners from my conversation with Meg Linehan, and we expect them to do very well in the regular season. But a good way to show that you will continue that run of form is to win in a penalty shootout, to win the first available silverware, which they have they have done. So credit to Portland for that one. Excellent stuff. Is there a better name than Gotham FC, by the way? It's that's a good, that's it's a good, good rebrand as well. That's how you do a rebrand, yeah. Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> the Columbus Gotham FC. Let's make that happen now. Perfect. Oh, wonderful stuff. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> no more talk of rebrands. We're done with that conversation. And we're actually done with this podcast. Thank you very much for listening, dear listener. It's been wonderful having you join us. Uh, Graham, thank you very much for joining us on this weekend review. We look forward to you joining us next week to cover whatever LA Galaxy game we'll be doing then. <laughs> no problem, Ryan. Catch you next time. Taylor Rockwell. A pleasure as always. Right, big at you, buddy. Bye!